The title of today's message is The Word Became Flesh. Taken from John chapter 1, verse 14. And would you all stand with me as we read the Word of God this morning? In John chapter 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory for the only one, one and only, who became from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. You can all be seated. So have you ever read a story or looked at a piece of art or watched a movie, and you kind of liked it, so it's like, hey, I'm going to watch that again. I'm going to look at that piece of art again. I'm going to listen to that song again. And you just listen to it over and over. You watch it over and over and over again. And you know, the first time you watch it, the first time you see the piece of art, the first time you listen, you notice some things. You pick up some of the things in, in this thing. The second, third time you pick up, you notice you pick up different things. You know, if it's a painting, maybe you pick up some of the brush strokes that were in the shadows that you hadn't noticed before. I've done that with paintings before. You look at something and, you know, the subject catches you and your eye is drawn to it. But maybe there's some other things going on that you didn't notice on that first viewing. And you see them the second time. Same thing happens with music. You hear a song and the second time you hear the song, you're like, you know what? I didn't hear that part before. I didn't hear that background part. I didn't hear that, that drum fill. I didn't hear that melody. I didn't hear that counter melody. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear all that stuff. I recently heard a song. I'm really into Ben Rector right now, and there's this one song where he's playing this song, Old Friends, and I went back and listened to it, and what I heard is there's one of those like bicycle bell things <laughs> snuck into it, but I didn't notice it until I listened to it the second or third time. Well, the point of me sharing all that is... I'm bragging on God because God is the author of everything, including art. And I just want to tell you that our God is such a beautiful artist. He's an incredible artist. And one of the most rich and beautiful expressions of God's art is found in his word, the Bible. And in his Bible, in his word, and throughout the story of Jesus, we see the ultimate expression of God's heart. Now, I know that none of this may be new. Some of you have been in church a long time. Some of you haven't. None of this may be new. And yet, it doesn't make it any less awesome. It doesn't make it any less awesome. So let's take another look at some of the brushstrokes from God's Word. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'd like to look at this scripture a couple of ways, descriptively and prescriptively. Descriptively, what is it saying? It's saying what happened. So let's look at it descriptively. The scripture is clearly talking about Jesus coming to earth, and what better time to talk about this than this Christmas season, right? It's talking about him coming to earth, and we celebrate his birth right now. But there's also other stuff going on there, but in order to, to unpack that other stuff, um, we're going to have to go back a little bit. We are looking at John 1.14. We're going to have to go back to John 1.1. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what we just did is, is kind of what happens when you watch those movies. Have you ever been watching a movie? They have the opening scene, and there's just like this big car chase or this big sequence, and a lot of stuff's going on. And you're like, what's going on? And then the screen fades to black, and there's text that says, six weeks earlier, right. <laughs> or four hours earlier, and they build up some context. 
So the reason we're going back to John 1.1 is to provide some context for John 1.14. You see, before Jesus became flesh, he was in the most amazing place in the universe. He was with God. He was in that place where he had want or need for nothing. And you know, as I read this, and I thought this the first service, and I think it again, I'm tempted to say, imagine what it's like to be in a place where there's no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no pain, there's no death, there's no worry, there's no anxiety or depression or addiction. And I'm tempted to say, imagine that. But there's a check in my spirit because I know you can't. I know we can't. We are incapable of imagining what it's like to be in glory with God because we're here. We can try. And the point of trying is, imagine being in a place that is that, where you have everything you need and it's so comfortable. And yet, for the love and obedience of his Father, he was willing to leave that place that we might be redeemed. Let that sink in. To kind of lighten it up a little bit, there's times where <laughs> I'm sitting at home watching something and, and I lose the remote. <laughs> and I don't want to get up to go change the TV because I don't want to leave that place of comfort. <laughs> you know, there's times we find our place, ourselves in a place that's comfortable and it's, it's like, we don't want to leave that place of comfort. Okay, now multiply that by a million. Jesus left this place out of love and obedience to his Father that we might be redeemed. So Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, and doing so fulfills, and I, I looked at a couple of different sources, over 300 and some say over 500 scriptures from the Old Testament. And not only does he leave heaven and fulfill all those scriptures by being born and living, but he's also the living, breathing, flesh and blood embodiment of all of scripture. I'm not saying he is the container, he is the reciter. No, he's the embodiment. And here's the difference. We can memorize the word and get it in our head and recite it. Or we can quote scripture all day long. It's not the same thing as living it. It's not the same thing as living it. You know, next time you know somebody, you find somebody that knows scripture 10 times better than you, ask yourself, do they love 10 times better? Paul talks about this in Corinthians when he says that knowledge puffs up. But you know what kind of love... <laughs> deflates, living it. And not only does it deflate and put us in the right place, but it, it puts us in that place that God intended for us to be. So up to this point, we've been looking at this scripture in a descriptive way. You know, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, and it says that he did so, you know, full of grace and truth. So now let's flip this a little bit and maybe look at the painting and the brushstrokes from a slightly different angle. Let's look at this scripture as prescriptive. Prescriptive is, do this. A model, a template, or an example for how we should live our lives. I read a book a couple of years ago, and I read it again recently, Darren and I both read it, called The Other Half of Church, written by Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. And in this book, there's one quote that's haunted me week after week after week from the time I read it, and it is, we don't need facts to memorize. We need examples to follow. And we have that example in Jesus. So let's explore this verse in three parts. What do we see Jesus doing? 
The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, and He did so in a way that was full of grace and truth. So let's unpack the first one, the Word became flesh. Jesus was willing to leave His place of comfort and become the living expression of God's Word. I think that's an example for what we're supposed to do. Not just read the Word, but be the Word. Leave our place of comfort. Be willing to leave it in obedience to God's will and the leading of His Spirit. But also, have God's Word so ingrained in our character that it impacts and affects everything that we do, how we interact with the world. The Word is so in us that it's like muscle memory. It's just there. Something happens and you react as Jesus would react because the Word has become flesh in you. Not having to look at a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? I understand the intent. But I also understand that Luke 6.45 says that a good man brings forth good things out of the goodness stored up in his heart. This is what's going to come out, not this. So what does that look like? Well, it could look like engaging people that are different than you because really if, if your character and your flesh and your heart and your mind have all been affected by God's word and they've all been ingrained in you, well, that, that is necessarily going to impact every single thing you do. It is. So what does that look like? Some examples. It could like, look like being a good husband, being a good father, embracing people that are different than you, embracing people you just disagree with. Loving them. It could look like being a good wife, a good mother. It could look like being a good friend who's willing to walk with you when life gets messy. Or it could look like moving your family across the world to show people who Jesus is through courage, kindness, and compassion. It could even look like walking around a room on a Sunday morning for 60 seconds hugging people. You see, because if we hide his word in our heart and we're sensitive to the leading of his spirit and say yes, God will use our yes, whether great or small, in our eyes to do, as Paul says in Ephesians, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. Because when the word becomes flesh and you are led by his spirit and by his voice and by his word, there are no insignificant actions. There are no longer any insignificant actions in your life. Because that word has become flesh and the word says it will not return void. So that's the first thing, word becoming flesh. Second thing we see Jesus doing, he made his dwelling among us. He's not just the embodiment of the word, but he leaves heaven and experiences what it's like to be flesh and blood. He experienced what it is to be with us in community where he was tested and found to be without sin. And you know, that is so profound because we as individuals, um, we can read the word, we can have our times of worship, we can have our times of meditation and prayer in isolation. Um, we don't find out if that word is in us until we're in community. I can sit at home and think, oh, you know what? I don't have a problem with jealousy. I don't have an issue with pride. 
I don't have an issue with envy. I don't have an issue with lust or greed or unforgiveness. I mean, imagine being alone on an island with a palm tree. Do you really know if you have an issue with jealousy? (laughs) There's nothing to be jealous of. But you go into community. Yeah. The music changes a little bit. You know, in the music, in the movies where you hear that ominous music come up? All right. How do you know if you have an issue with jealousy? Be in community. How do you know if you have an issue with pride? Be in community. How do you know if you have an issue with anger, lust, envy, unforgiveness? Be in community. And we're directed to do this in Hebrews. God tells us, forsake not the gathering amongst yourselves as some are accustomed to doing. And I believe that that's because that's where God intends us to grow. You can't grow in isolation. Now, it may sound a bit like I'm making community out to be kind of sketchy, because I just said all these things come up. It's like, you go into community, it's like, oh, that's where I found out I'm jealous, and I have issues with greed and pride and envy and lust and all that stuff. And, well, the truth is, community is sketchy. Because, because, we're, because we're in it. And yet, that is where Jesus dwelt. That is, that is where Jesus dwelt. And I don't know, my filter's kind of, I don't know if it's working or not. We'll see. I may never ask me to be, I may never be asked to do this again, but I'll throw this out there anyway. So Zig Ziglar's this motivational speaker that my dad used to listen to, and he kind of told me about, and he had this quote, and he said he was, he was inviting this, uh, this guy to church, and he goes, hey, fella, why don't you come to church, you know? You really need to come to church and learn about Jesus. And he said this guy told him, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. And Zig looks at him and responds without missing a beat. That's okay, fella. We got room for one more. (laughs) Don't worry. This is why we need accepting that, accepting that, that we are flawed helps us to greater appreciate the grace and mercy of Jesus. And this is why we need Jesus every single day. I don't need Jesus just when I'm in my prayer closet. I need him when I'm here. And I'll tell you where I need him even more is not on Sunday morning, between Sundays. How many of y'all know you you walk out on Monday, Monday slaps you in the face, and it's like, (laughs) I, I need Jesus now. The reality is we live in community, you know, all the time. But in a community of believers, we get to grow. And when God's word becomes a part of our character, our character is informed, influenced, and inspired by the person of Jesus, our lives will change. Now, when Jesus dwelt with others, he did so in such a way that made John write, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So Christ's life in community was filled with grace and truth. When God's word becomes a part of us, our lives should reflect those qualities. Sometime back, there was this morning where I woke up, and for, well, I woke up, and I won't say for whatever reason, I woke up, and God moved my heart to a posture of gratitude. I was overwhelmed by gratitude. 
I was overwhelmed by all the things that I had to be grateful for. And immediately there, laying in bed, I started thanking God for all the things that he had done, all the ways that he had provided for me over and over, all the instances of his faithfulness. And as I'm sitting there praying for all the things that he'd done, the Holy Spirit gently led me to all the people that I had to be grateful for. And the names started coming. So I got up, I sat down, and I started writing a list of names. Let me tell you, I sat there for about an hour. Because as I wrote each name, I remembered how each person, each person had been a blessing. Each person had been a blessing to me at a critical point in my life. I remember those names. I remember Mike. I remember Christy. I remember David, Matt, Daniel, Brent, Ross, Brian, Tolu, PJ. And now, even, even since that moment, you know, a while back, the list of names has grown. Darren, Stu, Alex. Here's the thing. Looking back, I remember seeing all of them. I remember their faces. And while I remember seeing them, I remember feeling Jesus. They bore his image and demonstrated grace and truth in a way which transformed me. And that's what happens when the word becomes flesh. That's what happens when we dwell with others. And that's what happens when we live our lives filled with grace and truth. As I was thinking back on that long list of people I was grateful for, I'll tell you what I don't remember. I don't remember what the number one box office movie was. I don't remember what the number one pop song was. I don't remember what was trending on social media. I don't even remember what the top social media platforms were at the time. I do remember what it felt like when I was around them. I felt Jesus. I felt Jesus. Because in those moments, they were living in a way that bore his image. And when we do that, when we do that, it affects others. Culture has and always will change, and we're living at a time when those changes can seem like the waves that frightened Peter when Jesus called him onto the water in the midst of a storm. Y'all know. Culture's always been changing, but it seems like the last few years, last several years, somebody hit the turbo button. You know? So how do we speak Jesus into a world where the culture is changing? And it's changing in a way that's abandoned Jesus. And actually, I think the answer has less to do with speaking and more to do with action. Pastor Darren has often shared a phrase that he used to hear from Pastor Bill Hart. You'd hear him say, love looks like something. Love looks like something. And every time he's shared that and said that phrase, it's challenged me. 
Because at its core, at the core of that phrase, there's an action. There's an action that's being observed. And for the last couple of years, I felt God challenging me to say less and do more. So I found myself asking, okay, well, what should my life look like? What should it look like? And I felt God gently leading my heart over and over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love is kind. Love is patient. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What does love look like? I think it looks like that. And you know, we live in a time where the challenge is to remain culturally relevant. So we do the things that we think resonate with culture at that point in time. But as I look at 1 Corinthians 13, it seems like God's already given us the blueprint for those things which will resonate with the human heart throughout time. Y'all know some of these things that are trending, some things in pop culture, they age like milk. <laughs> we, we all have things that we were like, we heard it, it's like, oh, that's awesome, or, you know, those shoes were great, or that clothes, like, there's things that, like, they seemed great at the time, but as time passes, you're like burning all those old pictures, you're burning all the evidence, like, no, no. <laughs> I never, I never wore bell bottoms. What are you talking about? <laughs> but in God's word, we find those things that are timeless. And I truly believe that if we live according to God's word, it becomes flesh in us. We will reflect the image of God in a way that is timeless and impacts people. Such a way that their lives are changed. So I'd like to close with an illustration. I'm going to ask my amazing friend, Micah Tope, to come up here for a moment. So if you look at the two screens on the sides, this is a piece of music called Claire de Lune by Claude W.C. And it looks like it was written in 1890. And this, this is actually a picture of the sheet of music that Micah owns. And if you look closely, you can see things written in the spaces. You can see like fingerings and little pointers and things like that that, that help instruct her on how to play it. And I love looking at this, this sheet because like even the edges are frayed. You can tell this, this sheet of music has seen some stuff. You know, it's, it's been around for a while. Looking at this piece of music, a trained musician could tell you that it has a time signature of 9-8, which if you're a musician, 9-8 is what's known as an asymmetric meter. This is odd. Everything we normally do in music is either 4-4-2-4-6-8 or 3-4. Everything's like 1-2-3-4 or 1-2-3-2-2-3 like a waltz. 
This is not that. This is like this odd, complex time signature. A trained musician could also tell you that it's in the key of D flat and that the tempo is andante tre espressif. I'm not going to claim to have known that. I had to look that up. <laughs> what that means is it should be played relatively slowly but expressively. And even as I was preparing the message, actually this hit me the first service, it should be played slowly but expressively. Kind of like how we should read the word. Slowly and expressively. And we could study this sheet of music more, analyze it, even appreciate the picture and the elegance of the phrasing and pick up on rhythms and patterns and melodies and counter-melodies and, and actually pick apart musical motifs and themes. But I can tell you this, that we would never feel or be moved by the notes on the page until they were played. I would assert that God's word is not only a collection of stories, truths, and promises, and wisdom to be studied and memorized, but it's also a symphony that began with the words, and God said. And the incredible, humbling, and life-giving truth that I want to share with you this morning is that God has chosen for this beautiful work of art to be played through us. So when I am still and I know that he is God, the question I hear him asking 